0: This episode of the Sustainable Fashion Podcast, we talk to Michael Savory, a sustainability expert with a focus on material innovation. Today, we'll focus specifically on dyeing fabrics and the sustainability challenges around this. Welcome back to the Sustainable Fashion Podcast. Today, we have Michael Savory, a sustainability expert with a focus on materials. And we're gonna be talking about our overall theme, doing sustainability the right way. So today we're gonna to be focused on dyeing fabrics, dyeing fabrics. So Michael, today we're gonna to be thinking about innovations in dyeing fabrics. Can you share a little bit more about your background so our listeners can understand why they're expert on this subject?
1: Yeah, uh, of course. And uh, again, thank you for having me uh, on today, Kala. Uh, Hello everyone listening. My name is uh, Michael Savory. I am the sustainability manager at a company called Piana Technology uh, based in Cartersville, Georgia, United States. Uh, We are a multifaceted textile company uh, dealing with non-woven production, digital printing, as well as uh, fiber dyeing and wet processing, kind of doing a whole array of textiles. Uh, Previous to this role, I was the head of sustainability for a brand and material innovation company uh, in Philadelphia, as well as I hold a Master's of Science in Sustainable Design and have spoken and presented at conferences and trade shows uh, throughout the U.S., Canada, and the United Kingdom. Part of my job and my role, my daily responsibilities, is to kind of stay up to date and current uh, with current technologies, especially with those around the sustainability sphere and kind of new ways that we can help lessen our impact on textiles that they have on the, the earth. Part of my job is to kind of track down all this peer reviewed literature, make sure that the science is correct, and make sure that everything these new technologies are saying they're doing are actually doing. As one of the biggest things we see within our industry today is unfortunately the the rise of greenwashing. So, within my role, I see a lot of new and interesting technologies come across my desk, and I've kind of always interested to find out more about them and and kind of become an expert on on what's happening within the industry and all of those things so excited to share that with you all today
0: amazing so Michael dyeing fabrics particularly cotton can result in a lot of pollution and water waste can you share a bit more about where innovations are being developed to tackle these issues yeah
1: no that's a that's a great question to start everything off with so when we look at how fibers or fabrics are dyed um, today, as well as in the past, we see a lot of inputs coming out. And unfortunately, most of those inputs are also coming out as outputs. So we get a lot of chemicals, a lot of dyes, auxiliaries, and other toxins that are used in the dyeing process, uh, not being taken up by the fabric or the fibers, and they end up uh, as the wastewater going back into our environment. These dyes themselves contain, and these chemicals being used, contain a lot of different toxic chemicals and agents uh, that are unfortunately stripping away the biological life uh, in the water that they're touching and kind of reducing the amount of fresh water that there is um, available to us all of this is actually explored in a great documentary in 2017 called The river blue i recommend all of the listeners to actually
0: check that out and uh, so where can we get that
1: I do believe that can be found on Netflix. Uh, That Mm -hmm. one and the true cost of fashion are both on on Netflix, I believe, and a great Mm -hmm. documentary to to look at. And they look at actually the impacts of what dyeing fabrics and and cotton can actually do to the world. So this kind of result of using all these chemicals is why there's so much pollution. And and to give it a, a bit of insight for all the listeners here, when, When you think of the traditional dyeing process of cotton, the first thing that we need to think of is say, if we're dyeing a kilogram of fabric, uh, that kilogram of fabric is going to use anywhere between 125 to 200 liters of water. Uh, um, And this doesn't account for the actual amount of water used to actually grow the amount of fiber. So that's also enough to make roughly two or three shirts. So we're already using a lot of water in here. Then in order to get to the next stage, we need to add a lot of salt to that water, to that liquid, in order to make the dyes attractive to the cotton. So for every kilogram of cotton fiber or any fiber that we're using, we're adding about a half kilogram of salt into that. So we're making that water very salty, very toxic, and and it's not necessarily the best atmosphere to want to be in, which is why we do that. So what brands have done and what we've done here at our company, um, Piano Technology and one of our brands, Victoria, uh, Piana is we've created different ways of how to address that. Um, the way I see it is there's multiple different ways that we can address this solution, whether it be in a pre-treatment aspect, whether we're using natural organic inputs or innovations in machinery, and this is something that I will talk about more in detail. So if we think of all of these toxins and all of these chemicals going to the water, there was actually a study done in 2013 just to kind of put it into a quantifiable. Uh, metric for everybody is in 2013, they estimated that 200,000 tons of dyes were lost and sent to the waterways each year. Wow. So if, if we think of we're dying all these shirts, every shirt you see at Topshop or ASOS or, or H&M or any of these or Zara, all of those shirts, are getting dyed and they're getting so much dyes and they're lower quality shirts. So all of those dyes that they're using, roughly about 30% more dyes actually added to those baths are washed out the drain every single time
0: so as you can imagine
1: a lot of this pollution is going out into the wastewater
0: yeah yeah
1: so ways that we can get around this and it kind of comes into some solutions that we will jump into is one of the first ones that i like to look for and it's when you're looking for a new brand is what certifications are they looking through are these chemicals that they're using, are the, the actual manufacturers, are they sign approved, Okeotec certified, ZDHC or a similar standard to help kind of reduce that pollution and perhaps reduce that amount of chemicals that are actually going into the wastewater. So those are some ways that we've been doing that. But as I mentioned earlier, some of the solutions that the industry is either coming up with now or using a bit more of are in the pretreatment aspects, the natural or organic inputs with the innovation. So, When we think of the pre-treatment aspect of a fiber or or a fabric, um, the one that we do here at our company is what we call save drop technology. And this is where we're actually adding a pre-treatment on the fiber itself before it's spun into the yarn to make it more attractive to the dyes and make it easier to dye and use less water. The next one, something that's been around for a long time is natural organic inputs. Uh, so this is the thing, if you think of the natural pigments that have been used for hundreds of years or even thousands of years to actually dye clothing, more and more brands are looking at ways to, OK, how can we bring this natural world back into our dyeing processes?
0: Yeah, that sounds really important.
1: Yeah. And, and the last kind of big innovation that, that I'm seeing nowadays and something, that's a solution to help with this is waterless dyeing or digital printing or even laser etching of the fabrics to get those same desired effects. So we're seeing more and more companies switched ways to, we have this precious resource of water, how do we actually stop using that completely? Um, but as you can imagine, all of these technologies either have their pros and their cons, as one could imagine, um, but the largest hindrance that we found is today is brands that wanna change. If, if they don't wanna change, they're not going to change. And ultimately that's not gonna be the solution to stopping this pollution. Um, A little bit of a rhyme there for for the
0: listeners. (laughs) Okay, so like thinking about the the technologies, I just wanted to delve a little bit deeper into that. So how widespread are these technologies and can they be adapted for other materials like leather and denim? Can you go into a little bit more about, just give a bit of a picture about how widespread the technology is in terms of reducing pollution and can they be useful for the materials Just support us in the picture of how this problem can be solved?
1: Yeah, so I'll, I'll go in reverse order of the solutions I mentioned and finish off with the one that we're doing at our business. So if we think of what the innovations in machinery uh, and the waterless dyeing, the, the digital printing, that business, it's not as widespread as, as I think we would hope. It's slowly getting up there. Um, slower and slower that, you know, machinery is expensive to do. There's only a few companies in the world that can do it due to their patents. And it's something that's kind of has a very limited scale production uh, due to cost and obviously due to the innovation and patent laws there. So when we look at that types of technology, I would say personally, that's not as widespread as it could be to make a, a large impact. Uh, into other materials. It is something that can be adapted to other materials, but it's so specific that either has to be retooled or adjusted in order to actually get the desired effects on those uh, materials or fabrics that are using. If we look at the, the next kind of big technology uh, or an in- innovation that's no longer really an innovation is, is the natural or and organic inputs um, that we're using. So we see lots of things like natural indigo, we see uh, spices used for color flowers used for color um, and even companies using things such as crustaceans uh, to help add uh, color to the fabrics as well as to help reduce the amount of water water used in that this is a technology that you know it's been around for thousands of years it's been around for more than thousands of years it's been around since the beginning of time for dyeing clothing so so every brand knows it every manufacturer knows about it and, and it is something that's way wide, very widespread. The difficult thing with that is though, as us as a society has started to demand more clothing, demand more materials, our production needs quickly outpace the amount of supply. These are natural ingredients that come around. We can't just produce them like that over a single night. So what happened is we had all of this, we had these amazing dyes and pigments, you know, 150 200 years ago that we were only using but eventually as more and more people wanted clothing different colors we had to switch to different chemicals and synthetic dyes in order to meet those production needs so fortunately the natural dyes and and pigments are still around they are widespread but they're more what we see now in brands when they do small capsule collections or limited release lines um, which usually they're labeling is those equal lines something that they're like hey
0: yeah, I wanted to ask um, an, another question off the back of what you're saying, which is relevant, and then maybe you can tie it into the work that you're doing in comparison. Um, so the, the issues that comes with dyeing fabrics is pollution and the overconsumption that you're talking about. So obviously with a growing pop- population, how can we tackle these issues at scale? That's the question that I wanted to ask, and maybe you can continue um. train of thought in terms of describing these solutions and and what you work on as well. But I just thought I'd bring that in in terms of what you're saying now. It's really relevant, the overproduction and the growing population. How can we tackle these issues at scale? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay, you know, I, I definitely think I can I can tie that in here. So as I was saying, so if you look at the use of natural dyes and the use of natural pigments those are coming out into our eco lines or our eco-conscious lines, whatever the brand is going to spin it to kind of give them their sustainability woe of the day and say, look at us, what we're doing. So if they were able to stick to those small production lines um, and not be producing you know, hundreds of thousands of garments a year, they would be able to do that. So the production is definitely an issue there. And I, and I actually listened to one of your podcasts the other day, as as from a while ago where you mentioned that if we stopped production of clothing now we'd have we'd have enough clothes for 10 years in society so so that is a significant amount of overproduction that we're doing and you know it's not being used in in natural dyes so if we look at the last innovation and kind of how it fits all into that and and before i jump into that sorry the the natural dyes and pigments those can be used on other materials uh, as long as it's a natural material. That's how it was found. It can be used on your hems, on your linens, on your leathers. Yeah. Uh, anything that has that natural cycle of or organic matter, you can apply those natural pigments to to get that color. So if we look at the, the third innovation, which comes down to the pretreatment cycle, uh, it's something that we do at our company, Tintoria Piana, is what we call our save-drop technology, or what others can refer to in the industry as a cationic cotton. Um, And that is a technology that, again, it's not, unfortunately, we didn't invent invent this technology. This has been something that's been around for 20 to 30 years, except it's still not catching on. Brands know about it throughout the world. We have scalability tried and tested with our facility. We've done commercial orders. We do commercial orders with it. However, the big thing about brands today, and unfortunately it needs to change, is they don't want to change or their manufacturers don't want to change because usually to them, change means more money, more difficulties, and they don't want to do it. So they're more happy to continue status quo uh, or greenwashing in a way, or they just do, as I said, those small capsule collections or small lines where they're like, hey, you know, we're not changing 70% or 80% of our production. We're going to do a small 10%, 20% of it. And, and, you know, we'll say the rest of it is Okay. So that is something that, that's very interesting. All of the, the brands and businesses are saying, yeah, let's, let's find new innovative technologies, but they're not doing anything about it.
0: Okay, that's really interesting. So um, when we think about that, so how can we tackle this at scale? Because the point is that you're making that the brands that can do this at scale just don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. Um so my next part of the question really is is smaller production the answer and is it actually achievable when we think about the industrial processes so they do use this on their capture collections and things like that so when we're thinking about smaller production um is that is that an an option for like for example smaller brands to get into sustainability by using these processes and championing them where the, the larger brands don't. So is that like a competitive advantage?
1: I, so yeah, you know, looking at that and looking at smaller brands, I definitely feel it's kind of a double-edged sword. In terms of sustainability, yes, the smaller production runs, you know, they can be a bit more uh, closer to their orders and, and they're not gonna have too much uh, inventory that's not being sold. So that aspect is good. But on the on the flip side, smaller orders mean higher fees, higher costs, you're not getting the price breaks and you're not hitting the MOQs. So so that's kind of a difficult difficult thing there. So it's an interesting challenge for small brands. But in, in terms of, of your question, is smaller production kind of the answer um, to, to, to reach sustainability within our industry? And, and honestly, that's a very hard question to answer. And when I look at it, I want to look at it more of a a systems aspect and say, is smaller production the answer or is smarter production the answer?
0: Okay.
1: We need to make brands kind of a, first off, more accountable to what they produce. We we can't have brands Mm -hmm. that, you know, put an order in at the beginning of the season of, of 2020, COVID happened and then they cancel all of their orders with clothing that's not being sold. So, so that's kind of the first thing is we need to make brands accountable for what they're doing, yes. um, but we also need to make them agile and quick. They need to be able to kind of look at an industry, look at a trend, and and change it. And when I say agile and quick, I don't mean fast fashion where it can be produced within three weeks and on the shelves. I mean they need to be able to look at their production and have proper trend forecasting, proper color forecasting, and be able to do all those kinds of aspects. Or, or they're reducing their waste. They have huge complex supply chains that maybe need to be reimagined and look at where they can kind of minimize that. And a few examples here, they're kind of doing that is if we think of 3D knitting and printing of clothing, we see brands that are doing seamless or 3D knitting, and you can produce clothing super quickly. You can produce it to order if you'd like. And that allows them to not have that overproduction and they're not having to throw clothes away or, or unfortunately burn them as some brands do. Yeah. So that's that's another aspect to that. But in terms of what we're doing with our save drop technology, we kind of look at it a bit differently and we fall into that smarter production aspect. So I'll give you an example here of what I mean of that. So if we think yeah, of every time yeah, we go to a, yeah, if we, if we go to a store, you'll see, there's always that one rack, you know, the closeout, the flash, the clearance, end of season sales, all of these things are happening. And, and we look at what's on those racks. And usually it's, you know, a select colorway. It could be, I'm gonna use some some colors here. So it's like bright pink and, and lime green, or like purple, or some color color that you know, the designers saw and they said this is gonna be the color of the year. And they made all of this inventory and none of it sold. So we have all of these, we'll say t-shirts, either striped or, or Heather tees that are in these two colors that are just weren't selling. So a brand, they have all of this inventory that they've already dyed, already tagged, already at the retailers. They can't do anything with it. They have to sell it because it's now dead inventory, dead stock. So they're selling it for pennies on the dollar and just getting rid of it. Yeah. So where our technology comes in in place and kind of what this innovation dying does is what we do is we, we add our save drop technology to the fiber to the yarn, and then it, and it's put into to your t-shirt. Let's say, so say if you wanted a striped t-shirt, that was going to be uh, red and blue, or or blue and white and, and red and white. What you can do is you can make all of the t-shirt blanks with the striped being our save drop, save drop technology yarn, and then regular yarn as just the white uh, part of the shirt. So you're gonna have two different yarns on the shirt. Same thing with the heather. You have two different yarns, mix them up. Uh, And then what you're gonna have at the end of it is you're gonna have this entire inventory of just white shirts, just by looking at it. What you can do then is because what our technology does is it allows the dyes to be absorbed only in a specific way to those actual uh, save drop fibers, is it then only takes that dye. So a brand can now have an inventory of 100,000 white shirts they can dye any single color based on the current demand and the current needs so they can grab two shirts from the same pile throw one in a blue mixture and one in a red mixture and they're going to come out giving both a blue and white striped shirt and a red and white striped shirt so yeah i see this is that smarter production now our brand's doing it some are some aren't but let's look at the benefits here so a typical brand is going to order we'll say 100,000 units of blue and white, 100,000 units of red and white shirts, right? And hope they sell. They might sell 50% of each, you know, it's that 100,000 leftover in inventory that they have to get rid of. A smarter brand using the smarter production method and using our technology can still order 100,000 units of just white blank shirts, that they can then dye in smaller quantities to meet the customer um, demand. So yeah, if one's yeah. not selling well, they can then, stop making that production and actually go into doing that so that's the way personally i feel it needs to be done this produces less waste it uses less water less energy and and that's how we have to solve these questions if these large scale brands that need crazy amounts of production in order to fill orders around the world rather than having you know different skews that they it takes you you dye the fabric at the very beginning and then you go to the cut and sew at the very end and say and you and you pray, you cross your fingers that all your trend reports are correct, all your designers know what they're talking about. We need to shift that to okay, let's let them know what they're talking about, but let's not do that dyeing at the very beginning. Let's do that once everything's put together at the very end. Similar to piece dyeing or garment dyeing, but this way, you know, we're taking out that chance, we're taking out that risk and we're reducing the inventory. So answering the question of is smaller production the answer I would say it's a mixture of smaller production but mainly smarter production. How do we know what we're producing? How do we work with these brands and consumers to say okay this is what we need to produce and actually get everything done correctly within that.
0: Yeah I can see that I can see how that would work. It's a shame that larger brands are just not pushing forward in like solving this problem but the smaller brands that really want to kind of get their small collections out there and test the market and see what's working, that sounds like a great solution as well for yeah. them.
1: So, so one thing, one thing I did I haven't really touched on yet, and I really want to share with your listeners is what, what is save drop technology, what is cationic technology, and, and what is working here. So I briefly touched on it earlier of, of how cotton has died. So the way I like to explain it is. If you remember as a kid, uh, I don't know, if I, at least I did, hopefully you did as well. If you're ever in class and they'd give you magnets and they would say, you know, try to put the, the positive charge and the positive, or the positive yeah. end, and the positive yeah. end, yeah. push it together and, and remember how difficult it was. So yeah. Yeah. Th- that is basically what happens right now with cotton. So cotton itself is once it's in water, it's negatively charged and all of the dyes that we use are negatively charged. So we, we fill up these tanks to dye our clothing cotton in so we're putting in all of this cotton fiber or this cotton fabric and then we're putting in all of these dyes and we're like okay let's let these dyes attract to that and as we know you know it's It's not 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 going to
0: happen yeah
1: exactly so this is why we get you know all of these these backwaters covered in dyes and dirty and all that pollution so what they do to combat that is, is they pour in that salt that i mentioned earlier so they're putting in the half the, the half kilogram of salt per half per per kilogram, excuse me. So half kilogram to one kilogram of salt in there. And what that does is it actually makes all of that water kind of a, a, a unpleasant place to be. So those dyes are like, you know what, we need to get out of this salt water. That cotton yeah. isn't salty. Let's go to that. So then they, they leave that and they go to the cotton, but you know, you have still two negatively charged ions that are like, you know what, we're going to be friends for now, but we'll see what happens when the situation changes. So then the yeah. waters drain, they do a wash, and that's why we see all of these, these backwaters that are colored and, and discolored and all those toxic conclusions going out because we have all of these negatively charged bonds kind of hanging out together. So yeah. what we do, and it's that pretreatment process of safe drop, safe drop technology, is we change that from the beginning. So... Before the dyeing process happens, we do the pretreatment process where we're actually mixing our chemistry with those cotton fibers, with those yarn to switch that bond from the beginning. So rather than having a negatively charged cotton and a negatively charged dyes, instead we're flipping that polarity of the cotton to produce a positively charged cotton and a negatively charged dyeing.
0: So oh, what no happens? Friction. Yeah,
1: exactly. So as soon as you put that cotton in with those dyes. All of those dyes, up to like 98%, 99% are taken into that cotton fiber. So what this results in is less dyeing time because you don't have to dye four or five times or seven rinses in order to get that in there. You only have to do it once or twice, You know, reducing water, reducing, reducing electricity and time. Um, but also when you're running those backwaters and you're draining that tank, there's no more dyes left in that water to tint that water. So you're having these clear backwaters come out of your dyeing machine that can be reused back into that system. So we've now created a system that you can ultimately completely recycle all of that water back into the dyeing process again. And the only way you're losing any water in this process is due to the drying, whatever going out, kind of the exhaust or the heaters when you're drying that fiber. So all of the water in equals almost all of the water out, minus except what's going out into the chimney. And you can reuse that water going out. So,
0: yeah, that sounds really innovative. It sounds like a really good solution to the the issue that we have of pollution and water waste. Definitely. Yeah. So, I've got one final question, um, and I really wanted to like pick your brain on this. So, what can we expect to see in the industry when it comes to new sustainable material development and innovation in the coming years? So, this is definitely something that people need to hear more about and we need to see more of. But what else can you tell us, like, um, should we be expecting when it comes to material development and innovations? Yeah, so- material development.
1: Yeah, so I think within the industry, uh, we're seeing a lot of amazing things happen. There is, the way I see it is is we're on the cusp of a, a few, the next few big years of what material innovation is happening. Um, and specifically around natural materials, the world right now we're realizing kind of the issue within synthetic fibers, with microplastics, and we're looking for, okay, how can we model uh, natural biodegradable or, or kind of compostable fibers into synthetic aspect or acting fibers. So we can get the same performance benefits as we can with yeah. natural fibers. And this is something that, you know, it, we're still in the early years of doing, but it's also, okay, how can we either take these natural fibers or even recycled fibers and make them do what their virgin or their, their typical synthetic fibers are doing? So some great examples of this. And I, I do believe actually we were, I think you put on a conference that I was on with them once was with natural fiber welding. It's a company that is replacing synthetic uh, leather and, and real leather with natural materials. So that's a company that, that's taking, I think it's called Milo stuff. They're using all natural mm. inputs to create what, what leather. What
0: natural materials are they using? Because so um, it would just be nice to get a few names of some of the materials.
1: Yeah, so they're, they're using, it's their patented material uh, co- compound. So it's basically, I do believe, waste material from, far, from agricultural practices that they're making yeah. this material yeah. out of. So then you have companies like Pinatex which is, which is making uh, pineapple leather, another yeah. thing, and then uh, mushroom leather using that uh, mycelium to actually produce it. So you're yeah. getting all of these natural materials acting as, you know what? The original natural material, leather, okay? Well, that has a whole other issues with it, around it. So people started making what we call the pleather or the plastic leather or that synthetic leather, which was you know, just as bad, just as terrible, but in a different yeah. way. So I did, that is something that I feel is coming through through the future is how do we create uh, materials to replace n- replace kind of natural materials to replace synthetic ones. Something that we're doing in our brand in one of our other businesses at Piana Nonwovens that I have a kind of a big faith faith in is we've created a material to actually start replacing foam. So this is an interesting one. When I first learned about it, but if, if you think of wherever you're sitting, wherever you're listening to this, there is foam around you. Whether it be in the seats you're sitting on, the cushions, your bed, your bed, there's everywhere around you. There's some aspect of a foaming agent within that, and all of that foam is again a petrochemical from polyurethane that has all of these harmful emissions and VOCs. Um, the reason we have to air our mattress out, you know, when we unbox it. Mm-hmm. is we have all of this, this material of foam around us that can't actually be recycled. So how do we replace that? So we actually, Piano nonwovens our business, we actually created a way, uh, 100% circular foam replacement that we're able to use recycled materials, recycled polyesters and natural inputs to actually create a foam replacement that has the same amount um, of cushioning effect with it, but it's also you know, non-toxic it can be recycled infinitely into itself. It's washable, more breathable, all of these things. So we're starting to see businesses look at traditional materials and say, "How can we innovate on them?" Yeah. And how do we how do we bring a, it stages? The way that I see it is okay. We have these really bad materials. How do we then replace them with recycled or reclaimed inputs? The next phase that's going to happen is how do we replace those recycled and reclaimed inputs with natural and biodegradable inputs. So yes, it's going to be a shift. Yeah. Exactly. It's going to be a slow kind of a shift and a phase into those aspects. And then eventually, hopefully it's going to be a shift into pure mono-material products to help us with the sustainable uh, or with the circular economy down the road. Because ultimately, if we can be uh, like Adidas with their new shoes recently, or some clothing brands, if we're able to make an entire product from one material, that we can break down, we can then completely break down and reuse those materials infinitely amount of times, kind of continually down the road. But that obviously brings in a whole new conversation of, okay, setting up the infrastructure to recycle these materials and then kind of, how do we use them forward? But but that is, you know, that's another issue that we're we're going to address.
0: I do have a final question off the back of my final question. So um, yeah, you just inspired another question that I think um, we should probably address. So this all sounds really promising, but in terms of time, we don't really have time now. Time is not on our side when it comes to this climate catastrophe that we're heading into. So give us some hope. Is the hope on the horizon? How many years do you think it will take? Is it like a decade-long thing, or is it like three to five years that the industry will be changing? Just based on what you said about bigger brands not, not making that move forward, what is the timescale, and where 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 will the innovation really take off? Will it be through smaller brands paving the way? What are your thoughts in terms of like how to go forward with this?
1: Well, you know, I I, I cannot give a a definite answer on that because if I could, then I'd be buying lottery
0: tickets. Um, yeah. But just to, but a bit of hope yeah, yeah. into the podcast for people.
1: Yeah. So no. I think no. It sounds exactly. really
0: hopeful what you're saying, but we need to have a realistic perspective on. On, on the situation
1: as well. Yeah, so, so in terms of dying and that aspect, you know, our technology, Save Drop, Save Drop Technology, is a, a tried and tested scalable solution to brands. And, and we are working with some large brands to implement that now. But if we think of hope and what we're doing, it, it's a two-way aspect. I'm not gonna give you a direct yearly answer, but the first one is us as consumers need to be the change we need to yeah. demand our brands and the clothing we wear we, we shop with our shop with our values you know buy with yeah. our values support brands that are, are doing good things for the earth, doing good things for the world and actually pushing the bar forward to get that so that's the first thing that we need to do because the more we do that as consumer the faster it will change yeah but in, in terms in terms of time you know it, it's already happened. all just released their clothing line um, without any, without very minimal synthetics. Uh, you know, I, It said originally no synthetics, but after deeper investigation, they are using some nylon uh, within that, I think some spandex as well, but there's brands out there that are doing great things. You know, Patagonia has always been an amazing company, pushing it forward. Vivo Barefoot yeah. out of the UK, they're doing some great things around that. Um, Reformation, Mud Jeans. I think Mud Jeans out of uh, the Netherlands has produced a fully circular jean
0: um
1: so there you know it's already happening it's we're seeing it now and today that companies are making a change um but it all depends if we want it in one year you know every single person listening to this podcast and around the world needs to tell five more people to stop buying from these fast fashion brands that are are polluting the earth if we want it to happen in a few more years okay you know what don't tell everybody in the world your friends just start pushing and, and sharing these stories that we see online. But ultimately we're, we're on a revolution and I think this, pen, this last year and a half has really shown it with the clearing yeah. of, of smog around the world and dolphins returning to you know the canals in Italy is we need as consumers, we are the ones who have all the power. And, yeah. and that's the thing that I think we don't realize is if we stop supporting these brands and we stop buying more of these eco-conscious lines or, you know, not shopping at all, which is an option.
0: Um, yeah, we see that with COVID. What happened with yeah. COVID showed the power of the consumer when everyone stayed at home and just didn't buy anything. It yeah. really blocked the industry. So that shows that the consumers definitely have a lot of power.
1: Exactly. And it, it's, yeah, and I think we're always, everybody's guilty of it. We see something that we really like on sale. And, you know, like, you know, there's just this one little fix, I'll buy it now. And then you look at it and it's like, you know, virgin yeah. polyester staple fibers, don't wash me in water because all the microplastics will go out in the world versus, you know, something, that, something that's a bit more money, but it's going to last. And that's always that's always something that I'd love to explain to people that they're like, you know, fast fashion is amazing. They're like, I can get five shirts for $10. It's like, yeah, yeah. well, how many, how many wears of those shirts last? And we've talked
0: about the ethical side of things as well what 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 is um what does the cost who's paying the cost when you're getting something that cheap um, and exactly. we've had um some podcast uh podcasts about ethical fashion i think that's gone out um already but if you if not you can definitely catch it soon and yeah i just want to say it's re- like getting things at that really low price really really is damaging but people don't really realize that
1: how damaging it you, you pay for it one way or the other and if you're buying it at that cost you're gonna have to buy something new in three more months
0: yeah quality well-
1: over quality over quantity we've heard it for many many years but it, that's the way it is quality over quantity um yeah i'll finish it i'll, I'll, I'll finish it there
0: <laughs> yeah no that's amazing michael and um, it's always great speaking to you we've had you um at one of our live events or, or one of our virtual events and um, clubhouse fashion when we're talking about materials of the future and that was really amazing it's just been great to have you back on the podcast and hopefully we can see you um at future events and, and sharing your knowledge with people this has been so insightful and um just makes you realize that the struggle is real but we'll get there in the end and um everyone needs to hear about this and start making the right decisions. So I really appreciate you. Thank you for being on the sustainable fashion podcast.
1: Thank you very much for having me. And uh, for those listeners who who want to find out more about me, uh, feel free to contact me. My email is uh, is msavory uh, at pianagroup.com or my Instagram, michael.savory, which you can find all that information. I'm always happy to share this information with others because us as consumers and us as industry professionals we're the ones that need to make the change
0: yeah thank you Michael yeah so definitely reach out to Michael if there's anything on the podcast that is relevant to the work that you do and um you can push this agenda forward when it comes to um dyeing fabrics and reducing pollution and water waste then Michael is definitely a great and great person to speak to so I'm Bukola Dagiloke and this is the Sustainable Fashion Podcast and we'll be back with another episode next week